All right. So, yeah. So it was um, that incredible mental clarity really was something that was very unique and incredibly desirable. And I just felt like it's like I had a new brain and it was like the same kind of old thing. It was, it was all, it was all very not new, but then it was so incredibly different and new. It was like I was experiencing something. How, how about is, um, so it's got its own language uh, issues. How about looking at it in the sense of a, of a shirt that you've been wearing and wearing and wearing, and then you take it off and it gets washed. Now you're putting that shirt back on after it's been washed. And it's a different shirt now than it was when it was dirty. Okay, so that's a way of looking at the mind is, is that once you're beginning to clean out all of the obstructions that prevent you from seeing clearly the way things are, you're beginning to see things more clearly because the sure. obstructions are out of the way. The fog is lifted. The veil has been lifted. The veil of ignorance. This is, you know, common language that's been used for many, many centuries. Is the process of waking up, the process sure. of uh, seeing things directly rather than through the fog of what we've been told is supposed to be there. So if we've been told something is supposed to be there, we go looking for that and often we miss what real is there. Then in fact, it's on YouTube, it's quite uh, common. I've seen various versions of it. <clears throat> and and uh, before the film starts or as it starts, the announcer says, count how many times the basketball is passed from one person to the next. <clears throat> and while you're watching this 10 or 15 second um, video, someone marches across the stage in a great big gorilla costume, waves to the audience to try to get everybody's attention, and then moves across the stage. People don't see it the first time they watch the movie because they've been told to look for and count the number of times the ball is changing hands. Uh -huh. And because they're counting and looking at the ball, they're missing everything else that's happening on the screen. If you had just been given that video without the instructions to count the number of times the ball was passing hands, then it would be very clear that you could see that what was going on in the uh -huh. But in fact, that happens in, in uh, uh, let us say, in stage design. In the old days, in fact, one of the university courses that I took uh, when I was in fine arts was on stage design. And part of what we had to learn to do was to make the change of scenery as part of the action on the stage so that the people couldn't notice that there were stage hands changing scenery while the, the, the play was going on because of misdirection. Uh -huh. There is also um, a Japanese form of art where the, uh, the puppeteers dress in black, but they are completely right out there on the stage for everyone to see 
except nobody's looking at the uh, puppeteer because they're looking at his puppet. But if you look at really what's going on, all you see is a puppeteer uh, maneuvering um, his, his puppets. <clears throat> but when we focus in on what was supposed to be because we were told to focus in on it, then we miss most of what's going on because we're only watching the puppets. We're not watching the puppeteer. So this is an important quality of the waking up process is, is that it's not that we're seeing things new. It's that we're seeing things without the old obstruction. Uh -huh. without, without the old uh, instruction about what to look for. You're told to look for something and you go looking for that which you've been told to look for. You're going to miss a whole lot about what's really going on. Yeah, but this is, this is very common with meditators. This is very common in um, uh, spiritual stuff because the students are out looking for something. And they're missing a whole lot about what's really going on. Just like they miss that gorilla on stage because they're counting the number of times the ball is changing. Yeah, this is uh, a really, really beautiful understanding then of uh, a new way of looking is to really just look at what's going on, including what the Buddha was referring to is the arising and the passing away. That this is actually what Anisha is, is really about, that it's not things are new and things keep arising and arising and arising, but things can only arise because something else was passing away. There's always that ebb and flow, give and take. You can't have a high tide and a higher tide and a higher tide and a higher tide. You have to have a low tide. Without the low tide, the high tide doesn't mean anything. This is what yeah. we mean by cycles. Everything happens in the cycles. So we need to watch the cycles as they go up, as well as the cycles as they come down. And in fact, what we've been looking at is the cycles as they go up. We look for insights and inspirations and events and things like that in our meditation practice. In fact, Western Buddhism is very much event-oriented. Very much event-oriented in the sense of, aha, I got an insight. Right. And so um, we, we tend to capitalize on that without recognizing that actually there is an event, there is an experience about once every tenth of a second. One after another, after another, after another, and they arise and they pass away and everything is new because everything is old is dying. And so what we need to do is to start paying attention to that not arising, but the passing away. So if you look at the Anapanasati Sutta, you know, it's based in uh, the Satipatthana of the four foundations of mindfulness. The, uh, the Satipatthana being the body, the feelings, 
the mind and the mind's objects. The Kaya Nupasana, Vedana Nupasana, Chitta Nupasana, and Dhamma Nupasana. These are the four parts of Anapanasati. And generally the way that we practice is we work with uh, the objects of the mind to make them wholesome so that we can then get things correct with the body, the feeling, and the mind and get the mind really, really fit for work, which is what we're normally referring to as the first jhana when we have the jhana factors, when we feel really good, when we feel safe, secure, uh, comfortable, satisfied, and successful. And we keep applying the mind to that and being able to sustain it. So part of the quality of the sustaining it is to recognize when it's starting to rot away. Okay, that's the whole point about the sustained thought is beginning to watch what is uh, rotting out so that some new thing will happen. This is where we come to the um, the Dhammanupasana or the fourth of the uh, Tetrad in Anapanasati. And that is um, step 13, 14, 15, and 16 is normally one of the ways it's referred to. And on the first item, step number 13, once the mind is fit for work, we watch things start to change. Okay, um, there is um, a kind of a rotting away or a dying that's happening. Nothing, uh, let us say, is a creation without something else dying. That's, that happens on uh, so many examples that it's hard to even figure out one. Oh, one would be that the exhaust that is created out of the back of an automobile is the riding away of the fuel. Okay, that's an easy one to see. We can see a lot of other stuff. So the arising of this means the destruction of that. The source food then becomes the ship. And so this is what we mean by everything is in turmoil, everything is in changing. And so we start to pay more and more attention to the fading away or the dying process. That uh, a musician begins to listen to the end of the note, not the beginning of the note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the um, the dying away process, and then the cessation. Step number 15 is when it's completely dead, it's gone, which means something new has already arisen. And so by the time something is completely dead, now it's just a concept in the mind because it's gone now. Okay. And because of that, it's time to relinquish it or let it go. And so this is when we begin to practice the letting go of, of everything that's happening because everything that is happening is happening because something is dead, something died in order to get to this. That where your foot was dies 
because you moved your foot to a new location. And so where you were rots away. And so we begin to pay attention to this arising and passing away, arising and passing away of basically all phenomena. And as we begin to do this, we begin to recognize that things are uh, arising and passing away pretty quick, pretty yeah. fast. Faster, in fact, than the human mind can conceive of it. That things are happening a whole lot faster than uh, we're able to keep up with it. This is, in fact, why people think of that li their life is a blur or that they live in a fog is because they can't see the arising and passing away because they've got their idea that it should not arise and pass away. It should arise and stay. Uh. Okay. And so what we're learning to practice here, when we talk about sustained thought, that means that we're sustaining on being able to notice the arising and passing away. And so we continue to watch. As we watch, we see things arise and pass away. But what happens instead is the watching passes away. And when watching passes away, the student doesn't watch the watching passing away. He, he's lost that. He missed it. Because he thinks he's supposed to be concentrating on or watching what's arising. Okay. So this is a new way of beginning to understand. There's also the, the point of that there is just one experience after another after another. They arise and they pass away and they arise and they pass away. And yet in Western Buddhism, we're supposed to have some events that when they arise, that means something special. Oh, now that I've had this experience, that means I'm a soda pound. Or now that I've had this experience, that means I'm a jhana master. Or just because I've had this experience, now I no longer have anger. This is the mentality that we have. That um, is actually uh, uh, based upon the way the society operates. An example of that would be uh, a Christian baptism. Now that you've been baptized, dot, 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 you know? Well, guess what? This baptism that you went through was just another event. Just on another day, this is what you did today, and it really doesn't change anything if we're not watching what's going on. If we begin to notice and watch what's going on, that's when the mind will begin to change is because now the changes is we're beginning to see things as they really are. And part of how we see things that they really are is that particular enlightening experience didn't mean anything. It meant something then, but then it passed away. And if it means something now, it's because I'm imagining that it means something now. Or in fact, it's just an old experience. The question is, what are we going to do in this new moment? What's happening now? Not what happened in March or what happened in November, but rather what's happening right now. This is what we're looking at is the arising and the passing away. Uh, well, the, and so, um, a clear example of that would be uh, what Achan Semedo calls wise reflection, in the sense that we wisely look back 
over a particular issue, let us say about anger. When was the last time that you were angry? Do you remember the past five or 10 times that you were angry? You remember how long ago it was, okay? And so this is a way of beginning to recognize um, anger drifting away is because it's been a long, long time. In the past 10 years, it's only happened once or twice, you know, that kind of thing. So this is the way that we can reflect upon that, yeah, real progress is because we've gotten distance from those events. So the events themselves don't mean very much, but because this is a new event, there's always the arising and the passing away. How are we going to handle this new moment? And the answer to that would be in the question of are in this moment, am I going to be looking and finding and seeing what I was told or what I told myself to look for? Or am I just going to look at what's really going on without having any preconceived ideas about it? <laughs> and yeah. again, that example is that passing of the ball and counting the number of times that we do that in meditation a lot. And when we do that, we don't even mention, we don't even notice the gorilla that went by them. Yeah. Or another way is, is that if we're looking for something, we don't notice the unwholesome thoughts. We don't notice, in fact, that the looking and striving and wanting to have that experience is actually an unwholesome thought. Uh -huh. That a better way of looking at it is, is that, oh, this is the thought that I'm having now. Is this thought of wanting something actually satisfying? The answer is no, because I'm wanting some situation. I'm wanting some spectacular insight or whatever. Uh -huh. And so by wanting something or by giving yourself marching orders, you often miss what's really there. I can so, feel that. Yeah. I it's hard. I, it's. Um... Because essentially what happened with this last experience was I basically had my understanding and practices and my mind aligned in such a way that I was able to continuously focus on the present moment for a long time, like multiple days. And I never experienced anything like that before. And then the clinging and the knowledge happened because I had kind of got everything aligned in such a correct way that everything became spontaneous and instant and it, it was like I didn't have to practice or try I just began to be spontaneously present for a long period of time and then some kind something I could feel it kind of like a clinging or a yeah like I was beginning to want that thing to happen I was beginning to want that state and I could feel it passing away but it didn't really feel like I could, it was just like I could notice that it was, that I was kind of going back into the mind state that I'd always been in. Um, mm. And it was very hard to somehow get myself back into that state, even if I could somehow, it's like it had such a positive effect that I'm clinging so hard to try and be present that it's almost stopping me from being present or something mm. like that. Yeah. 
Yes, that's exactly what we're getting at. So you're you're phrasing it um, in that way. So um, if you were practicing correctly and getting yourself into a good state, then you can use that as the analogy of pushing a car because it's it won't run. And it to get the, the car to move up from zero to one mile an hour takes a lot of effort. Okay. And um, then if you continue to push on the car, as you take each step, you can keep it going one step at a time. But what happens is, is that we get the car rolling and then we stop working. <laughs> and then the car stops uh, because of inertia and because of road resistance and because of whatever we're going to have in the mind that the uh, the vehicle will come back to a stop again. And we don't like that because we thought that we had it rolling. Yeah. Right. And so this is a common meditation practice is that when the students get their practice rolling, they say, oh, I've got it rolling now. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. And then it goes back to a stop again and we get frustrated because we thought that we had things rolling again. So the answer to that, obviously, is we'll never mind start again, but let's do it the way that we did it in the first place, rather than doing it with our new expectations of this should be easy because I did get it rolling. Yeah. Okay. And so the way that we do get the thing rolling is going back to watching the thought to change it from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought. And that's what we need to keep practicing over and over and over again, even though we get it on a roll so that often most of the thoughts are wholesome. We have to still be on guard for the fading away of those wholesome thoughts, giving rise to the unwholesome thoughts, including the desire of wanting something out of meditation, as opposed to just experiencing it the way that it actually is. Because that's the real marvelous part is, is that the way things actually are is good enough. <laughs> yeah. And wanting something to be different so that they'll be even better. That is the problem. That's the, the, uh, the fact that we can't get what we want is because we thought that we'd already put in all the work that we needed to put in to get it. It's almost like being surprised at the end of a milkshake. <laughs> yeah. Every time you took a sip, that milkshake went down. But now that it's empty and you hear the rustling of the air with the straw at the bottom of the cap, it says, what happened? Every time I sucked on this, there was still more uh, milkshake. Every time I sucked on this, there was more milkshake. And we didn't look at the fact that things were dying. It's I guess that letting go again. is like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's the hardest part is like, <clears throat> I, maybe it's just a lack of practice that I'm just not familiar with it. And I'm not, I don't really know how to, because when it was happening, I was able to kind of let it go. Um, but then I didn't continue the practice. I just was like, oh, I'm just going to let that go. And then I'm going to, because I didn't really, 
it was like there was so little practice to get this ball rolling that I mm -hmm. thought that, yeah, so I guess it's, um, even when it was happening, I did understand that it was probably just a, a thing that I need to practice and that ultimately I'm progressing really nicely. And so I just need to put in more work and keep doing the work mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, and, um, I guess the thing that was it, I just wanted to talk with someone about it because it was so confusing about, I didn't understand why it was fading like that. And I didn't really understand that like, um, what I didn't understand what the coming down or the fading away part was. And I thought that maybe I was doing something wrong, but at the same time, I kind of thought that it was just the old habits kind of dying hard and that this is probably how it's going to be for a while until I get uh, into a new state. Guess, guess what now, in that regard, when you said doing something wrong, that's like the marching orders of go count the number of times the basketball changed hands. And because you're looking for something that you're doing wrong, you're not seeing what is actually there. Okay. So by not looking at, in fact, uh, if you're asking the question, am I doing something wrong? That's already coming out of doubt. Mm -hmm. And so the, the right way to look at that is, is that, oh, because I'm asking for what am I doing wrong? That, that is an indication that there is doubt in the mind. And doubt is a hindrance. Okay, and yeah. so um, we can throw that whole show out and says, never mind, let's practice correctly. In other words, once we get the car rolling, worrying about the car coming to a stop is not going to prevent the car from coming to a stop. It's going to come to a stop if you don't keep pushing it. So it's just a, a rec it's the worry is just a recognition that I need to start working again or i need to push a little bit not right. i think that was Come something that i just resisted right mm -hmm. yeah i didn't well, want to continue well, to do the work i i know it, well you deserved to not have to work anymore i mean look how much work you put in <laughs> that's, yeah, good. that's a line. lot oh yeah okay that i did get that car rolling why does it keep rolling <laughs> yeah Okay, well, it's um, definitely kind of, these things are intuitive, and I kind of sensed it, but, and I wasn't too worried, that's why I didn't kind of come and immediately kind of panic and freak out, and I kind of figured that just by us practicing and talking that I would eventually come, the progress, um, because the progress always just seems to happen for me anyways, whether I practice or not, so it's just, um, yeah, it's, I guess it's really about building that discipline to do practice daily. Right. Okay. So um, the the fact is, is that there is a foundation that's being laid. Another way of looking at it is, is that you're pushing the car out of this mud and that the next mud that it's going to be in is not quite as muddy. And eventually you get the car on pavement so that now it's easier to roll. So that's part of the analogy that we can use there. Yes, that in fact, once we do get some things going, they get easier simply because we developed it as a skill. 
But if we don't apply that new skill, <laughs> things are going to, you know, roll to a, a stop anyway. Yeah. And so, so we have to keep that effort, right effort. Now the effort gets easier, but we still have to remember to put the effort in. To, to put in the effort, to take it, to remember, to take a deep breath. To remember to, uh, to throw out the unwholesome thoughts. Thoughts about the past, thoughts about the future. Keep coming back to the present moment over and over again. That's especially true in our private practice when we're just sitting, intentionally practicing. Is to be on guard for the kind of thoughts that will, uh, let us say, replace the very wholesome thoughts, which means that the very wholesome thoughts are dying away now and the unwholesome thoughts are taking over. And the quicker that you can catch that, then you can come back and start pushing again so that you can actually get it into a rhythm. But most of the time for the beginner, for the very beginner, getting things rolling was so much work that they want to take a rest after they get it rolling and then it rolls to a stop again. Yeah, well, luckily it's bad enough and it feels so good to get it rolling that the more that I think that's what I'm noticing with the cycles becoming shorter is I'm getting better at recognizing um, when things are not working as well, even though it's great. I would still say that what I experience all the time is like so blissful that it's it would be good enough for most people. And I'm but I'm kind of coming to realize that, um, you know, if I could experience something that is the peak of bliss and happen just regular satisfaction and enjoyment it's um so it's not like my, it's not like things are crashing down and it's not actually that bad it's just regular life and um but i'm starting to notice how good things can be and how how much of an ability i have to make things good and to clear my mind and to really um choose the way i want to feel and choose how i want to be um and <laughs> the power to do that is really um, something I never really was able to tap into much. I, I started to tap into it a couple of years ago, and um, it's been increasing to where I could actually feel like if I want to do something with my life, like if I, I've been thinking about writing books or doing something other than my regular job, because it's just a regular job, and I want to do something that uses more of my responsibilities, and I I feel a calling to do something other than just kind of get by or it's like I, I have some kind of developing power and resources, you know, clarity of thought, ability to teach and ability to inspire and share the positivity. And so I want mm -hmm. to kind of do that. May I offer a suggestion of a way of raising it? And that yeah. is to um, uh, to spread joy. To spread joy. That's what we're looking for. That's our obligation. That's the only obligation that we have. But it's a fairly big obligation. Bhikkhu Buddhadasa talks about it in the sense of the duty to the Dhamma. That we all have duties. And if we don't perform our duties, we have to meet the consequences of not performing our duties. 
Now, we're not necessarily talking about drafts and governments and that kind of stuff. But in fact, you've got a duty to take the next breath. And if you don't take the next breath, there's going to be a kind of a hell to pay. Yeah. So you're going to be dead in three to five minutes if you don't take the next breath. So we can think of that as a duty to breathe. Well, we can also see that we have a duty to clean out the mind and not doing that duty means that now we can't see very well across the room of our own mind because it's so full of junk. We've got so many orders, so many marching orders that we can't see the gorilla marching across the room. <clears throat> right? And so this is another kind of duty to the Dhamma is to clean things out. And that also in the cleaning of that out, there comes a joy. Now, um, the joy is kind of good. It's kind of remarkable, but it's not spectacular. When we use words that come from old English like bliss, that word is spectacular. And if we want something spectacular, we often miss what is actually there that was intended to be spoken of when they use the word bliss, but we hear the word bliss, think that it's something even bigger and better than that. And so this is not good enough because I wanted bliss. Satisfaction is not good enough. I want the really big stuff, right? Yeah. Well, if we're out looking for the really big stuff, like looking for the counting of the number of times that the ball has changed hands, that means that we're missing out on the reality of it. Things are really good. <laughs> Things are really marvelous right now. Never mind that there's no bliss, whatever that is. So we begin to look for this is good enough. This is satisfaction. Become satisfied with what is. Yeah. And if you are satisfied with what is, I can't think of a better bliss than that. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing that I've, because when I think about bliss or satisfaction, or I think of kind of satisfaction as like a very mild thing that I feel when I get done eating or something like that. It's kind of a sedated, brain foggy kind of uh, satisfaction. And then what I experience when I do the practices right is that's what actually pure satisfaction really feels like. And what I've been calling as satisfaction was actually some element of dukkha and being released or something like that. Or there's, um, so there does have to be a little bit of the relabeling and really coming to um, actually, maybe not even label anything at all, but just be aware of um, the way that things are and um, trying to build up that new language. I, I think I remember talking about this once, that when you get into this present moment state of mind, there's like a new kind of knowledge that takes place or it's a new way of processing information. And um, it's just very new and kind of it's takes a little bit of getting used to and you have to kind of um, because what what will happen is I'll kind of experience things and I'll have the flash of uh, the word or the concept will come up and then it'll f fade away and pass away. And so sometimes I'll have an experience of something and then the old anyways, um, 
see what else. There was something else that I wanted to talk about. Not really that so much thing, but um, um, I don't know. I I guess I don't actually have anything. It's not <laughs> right on my mind. Um, I don't know. I don't really have anything super. I just wrote down a bunch of notes, and I'm sure I'll kind of read and review things. Um, but it's really just about, I guess, keeping the practice daily. Oh, one thing I guess maybe I remember wanting to have a was um, there is a huge some, something happens when I go to sleep. Um, like I have a lot of it's like I'm waking up in my dreams a lot. Uh, last night I had kind of a very conscious dream where I was. Um, just like kind of I was waking up in my dreams, but so the dreams are becoming different and that's interesting and weird. But the thing that is that I don't really understand yet is when I would have these other experiences of let's say I had a very successful day of practice and um, the car got rolling really nicely and then I go to sleep. It's like a reset happens and every everything that I practiced yesterday, there's some kind of diminishing effect that will happen when I go to sleep and then I'll kind of wake up in the old mindset. Does that make any sense? And I'm just kind of, so it, am I supposed to practice in the morning for like a certain amount of time and do a rising and passing away or on upon a sati in the morning to kind of get back in that mindset? And is that, because that's what I really felt was happening when this thing was kind of dying or fading away every morning it was kind of like I had a little bit less of the clarity and I felt a little bit more like my old kind of brain foggy egoic self um, and I had the intuition that I needed to do some kind of morning practice but I couldn't figure out what it was or I just was so exhausted and I didn't want to do the practice in the morning but I felt that there was some essential morning practice that I was wasn't doing that I maybe I maybe you could give me some advice or talk about that because I yeah. Okay. Yes, we can spend a bit of time about that. The first thing is is that yes, you are correct. To uh, uh, a good time to practice is in the morning. This is well well known that in fact that's why it's traditional for the monks to get up early in the morning for meditation that this is, in fact, what happens in all the retreats. Oh, you've come back. Okay. There you go. All right. So we were talking about that a morning practice has enormous value, but often the students miss out on another uh, practice that um, <clears throat> that will help quite a lot with that. And that is, is that what do you do before you go to sleep at night? You get into the bed. And most people have thoughts like, oh, I've got to go to work tomorrow. I've got to do this, that, and the other thing. And they set them their mind up for 
having a restless night because they're having restless thoughts as they go to sleep. So another way of looking at it is, is that we're going to actually have one of our practice session times of Anapanasati is 10 minutes or so after we go to sleep at night or, or after we go to bed at night before we go to sleep. We're going to have thoughts like, oh, there's no place to go and there's nothing to do and I'm going to be able to lay here for the next eight hours and I don't have to go to sleep if I don't want to. It doesn't matter. This is my time and everything is all right. And I can feel the body on the bed and I can feel how comfortable and how relaxed and how easy going it is. And oh, I just feel so good to just lay here with no place to go and nothing to do. And then as we go to sleep like that, we go to sleep with that kind of mindset. The Buddha talked about it in the sense of burning by day and smoldering by night. Well, if we could put the fires out just before we go to sleep, then we're not going to do a whole lot of smoldering. So um, there's also the issue of the lucid dream that if you're if you are waking up in the night with a dream, the question is, can you control it anyway? Can you throw that dream out or can you modify it so that you're the champion? Almost all dreams have to do with us being a victim. We're being chased by something. We've got a problem to solve. That's what dreaming is almost always about. And so the answer to that is let's take control over that dream. Let's solve the problem. One of the things that you can tell yourself as you're waking up into the dream is, oh, this is a dream. It's not real. I don't need this. Let's just enjoy the night instead. Also, it has a lot to do with body posture. Uh -huh. That uh, even the scientists now, and I think that COVID had something to do with it. They're beginning to do the research to find out that the Buddha was correct. 2,500 years ago, and nobody paid much attention to what he was saying. In the, in the sense that, um, that in Asia, though, everybody knows because people here sleep on hard floors, hard mattresses. But in the West and in northern climates, we have big, comfortable beds that are high off the floor uh, because of the, of the cold weather. And so um, uh, if you sleep on a hard surface, if you sleep on your back, then your tailbone will hurt. Also, the anatomy is such that much of the lungs is actually behind the spinal cord so that when we're laying on our back, we're actually depressing the backside of our lungs and we can't breathe very well. If we turn over on our, our belly, it's the same thing. But if we lay on our side, when, when we're laying down to go to sleep and remembering that throughout the night, I'm going to remain on the side. And when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I'm going to do is to put myself back into the side posture so that you begin slowly to train the body itself as well as train the mind to sleep on the side. Then that will begin to happen and you'll have much better sleeping because you're sleeping on the side. That way the, the body can breathe well. You get good oxygen exchange by staying lying on your side, as well as is actually more comfortable. 
The um, so, so we actually use furniture to gain our comfort, to where in practice our posture that is where the comfort comes from. That even an easy chair can become uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, definitely aware of that one. Um, the when it comes to the dreaming, I've luckily I'm pretty good with. Um, I've always liked to read before I go to sleep, and I like to read spiritual books. And um, I didn't really put two and two together, but at some point I did begin to realize that reading these very high vibration or very wholesome books of spiritual masters. Uh, I'm reading the Sri Aurobindo um, Adventure of Consciousness lately, and then I'm always trying to read something positive. I didn't really do too much practice, but the reading of the books gets my mind into a very wholesome, positive state, and that helps with the quality of the dreams, but it doesn't always lead to me waking up in the dream. So like the dream isn't scary and I have like a little bit of control over the dream, but I don't really have a lot of, it's not like I'm very, it's not like I'm very lucid. I'm just a little bit lucid. Is there any practices or is that even worth going into? Um, Cause I feel like there might be something really positive. Uh, like last night I meditated in the dream and I did that by choice, but it was, I was still like very asleep kind of. I was just a little bit conscious in the dream. I wasn't completely conscious or anything. Um, is that something that will just come with practice or is that is there any techniques I could do or anything? Well, one of the things that I would recommend to all students in all occasions is, is that the book that needs to be read is the one between the ears, not the ones that has ink and paper. Okay. OK, and so rather than spending time reading books when you're uh, as you're going to sleep at night, the better thing to do is to have good thoughts. Thoughts of, as we were saying before, no place to go and nothing to do. And I'm just going to lay here and just enjoy the heck out of no place to go and nothing to do. Time to really relax to just lay here and just let everything be okay. Everything's okay, everything is fine. And so having good wholesome thoughts at that level, these are even more wholesome thoughts than high flown books, which keep the mind spinning. You see what we're doing with this kind of thought is beginning to slow Hmm. things down. No place to go, nothing to do, getting us very, very relaxed so that we can go into sleep and get much value out of it. Alrighty. Uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on real quick is kind of the morning routine. So, ten or twenty minutes on Apanasati, I could probably before read, and then I'll eat, do. Before you even get out of bed, is the time to start practice. As soon as you wake up, the very, very first thing that you do is to wake up. How do you know that you're awake? What is it that happens when you wake up in the morning? The first thing that happens, the very, very first thing that happens. There's darkness, and then I open my eyes, and then I wake up. It's like I could feel now, myself. Before you, open, before you open your eyes, you open some other kind of eyes. 
In other words, the first thing that happens when we wake up is that we have knowledge now that we've just woken up. <laughs> That's an interesting time. I was really excited to try and practice with that. Wow. I've never thought to try and practice when I'm in that state because it's always like, you feel kind of like a zombie. You're just kind of like, oh, I'm awake. I need coffee. I'll get up and get coffee. Uh-huh. Uh, so the answer to that is, is that as soon as you wake up, you can take a deep breath and say, wow, I'm awake. I'm alive. I made it through the night. Wow. I am super excited to try that one tomorrow. Um, so I'll do that waking okay. up and then maybe lay in bed for a couple minutes and then get no, up and about, do like about 10, about 10 minutes. Do a full session of Anapanasati as soon as you wake up in the morning. No place to go. Or even no Everything is all right. What a marvelous day this is going to be. In other words, you really, really kind of get your mind in a very, very excellent state. And then go okay. have coffee. Okay. Um, is the 10 minutes before? So like 10 minutes, um, let's say I go to bed. And I got my eyes closed and I'm laying down 10 minutes between my eyes closed and going to sleep. And then mm-hmm. another 10 minutes before I've even opened my eyes and I'm awake, but I haven't woken up yet. Is there any other time? Well, I waking up. Now we're going to actually practice waking up in the most wholesome way we can. Okay. As soon as consciousness comes, that's the opportunity now to really get it, uh, get the mind in a very, very good state. So any dreams that were had, throw those out. They're old, they're gone. We're going to just enjoy the present moment for a little while. Okay. A lot of people want to relect, re- recollect upon their dreams when in fact, we don't need to do that. We need to get the mind in a, uh, in a really pleasant state. So in fact, we could say then that going back to the analogy of pushing the car off, Push it off after you go to bed at night, and then in the morning, push it off as soon as you wake up. As you wake up, you start pushing that car. Okay. So wow. that's 20 minutes to practice. It's a freebie because you're spending that time anyway. Yeah, Not I've never Wow. That's amazing. I've never thought to practice during those times, but those are probably probably the two most important times to practice because it's um, very unique. It's like they're overlooked diamonds. And, you know, I just never thought to. Um, in between those two points, I'll try and look for some other time and practice, maybe noon or something to kind of like pick up the gap. Um, yeah. And then I'll try to talk to you next week or the next week after that, and then we'll try and catch up and see how that Excellent. practice is going. Great. Okay. Well, this is good. You practice as we've been talking about, and uh, and we'll finish now. And I'll see you later. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Okay. All righty. Bye bye. Bye.